I'm going to sell you this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Alright everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Howdy. Who is also in my house right now, and another <laughs> another section of the mm-hmm. house. I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's in, in another a, closet. Yeah. It's almost like we're not in the same place, but we are. <laughs> well, um, for the listeners, we're we're setting up a studio now that Barrett has moved back to town. Um, we're setting up a studio in Chris's house, um, in one of his many awesome rooms. And, uh, we didn't get it quite set up in time for the recording of this week's podcast. So we're, we're doing it remotely. And I didn't know until just now that Barrett and Chris are actually both there. Um, and that's kind of hilarious to me, but um, (laughs) soon we expect the audio quality to go up dramatically, um, because we'll, we'll have a a whole studio set up and, you know, mixing board and all that stuff. I don't understand. So. Yeah, it should be awesome once it's all set up and everything. Um, anyway, today uh, we're going to continue this series that we've been doing, uh, the best of each year that we've been alive, um, and uh, sort of uh, give us a little bit of background, Jeremy, on how this all came about. Somebody um, asked me to make a video uh, back when I was re- regularly making videos on my side channel, um, where I would go through every year that I was alive um, and pick my favorite movie of each year. And uh, it became the kind of thing that it didn't feel right to put into a blog post because that was just too one-off. And it, it did, it, uh, one video would be much too small to cover this topic. And then we started doing the Syncast, and I realized, hey, this is perfect for this. And, you know, buys us, like, almost 40 weeks worth of content um, <laughs> because I'm so old. Uh, and I was born in 75. And I'm the oldest of the three of us. So we started in 75 and we are 10 years further on this episode. And today we're going to talk about 1985. Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? I'm setting booby traps. Booby traps. That's what I said, Sam. Setting booby traps. Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. The f- it flame, flames, flames on the side of my face. And what we collectively think is the best movie of that year if you know a little bit about us, you can probably predict what I would predict will win. But uh, let's talk about the movies that came out this year. I know Back to the Future is the big dog that is super important to Chris. Um, but for me, the one I've seen the most out of this year is probably Goonies. Mm, yeah, yeah. And um, Goonies hit at the perfect time, right? I was 10. Um, and the kids in the movie are about that age. And it's just got the perfect amount of mix between sort of an Indiana Jones type adventure. And um, I just love it. I, uh, I don't think I'm going to vote for it best of the year, but it's probably the one I've seen the most. Uh, you know, basically, before we uh, vote Back to the Future unanimously, let's talk about all these other movies <laughs> that came out in 1985. Can I ask you about Goonies, though? There was a question on SoundCloud or there was a comment on SoundCloud on the times that we did the most eclectic directors. Hmm. And somebody uh, mentioned Richard Donner. Mm. It's a good, yeah, it's a good choice. Yes. You know, Goonies, Scrooge, Lethal Weapon, things like that. And of course, Superman is kind of the outlier. But to me, and I may be the only one in the universe that thinks this, there's a lot of yelling in Richard Donner films, especially those three. (laughs) Mm. And there's a lot of yelling over each other. There's a lot of like, in Goonies, 
I watched it not too long ago, and it was almost just like they're screaming like over each other, yeah. and it's not like one person can get a single line of dialogue out before like somebody else is just shitting all over their uh, their, their thing, and. Lethal Weapon is kind of the same thing for, you know, certainly the first one. It's just like a bunch of like hyper manic, like verbal diarrhea. So I don't know. It, it, hey, it, hey, it hey, Barry, feels like uh, yeah. you try to talk normally when you're in a cave and there's water going all over the place. OK, you try to do that. All right. Hey, and what about when you're trying to take your wish back? Huh? Yeah, yes. you're gonna. You're, you're not going. You know, you're not gonna sit there and just take that quietly, or literally um, um, steal your first kiss. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no kidding. Another one, as an aside, another comment I saw that we, another director we missed on that conversation who has an eclectic career is that I had completely forgotten George Miller directed Babe. Mm, um, oh yeah. yeah. And so when I saw that comment, I was ashamed that we forgot. Well, I don't think George Miller. Miller directed the first one. He did the second one. Okay. Um, but he was involved, I believe, with that first one. It's still wildly different than Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and he also did Happy Feet, too. So let's oh. not. Yeah, he actually did that one. So, um, uh, yeah, he's ha- he's definitely had a, a crazy career. But I think uh, also at the time that we did that one, we we sort of did that off the cuff without much prep. So it was... Uh, well, I guess so. I'll just come up with one right up right. Uh, off the top of my head uh, and everything. So, we do show prep now, though, so we're ready. <laughs> yeah, mm. we totally do. Um, uh, but back to 1985. <laughs> well, didn't he have – did he do Thunderdome? Didn't that movie come out in 85? Yes, it did. All right. Ah. So we can segue back into 85 through George Miller right there. Yeah. Uh, Thunderdome, which shouldn't even be mentioned in this discussion. But uh, Well, it shouldn't. Uh, it, it, does, it does have a, a life that uh, it doesn't deserve. Uh, there's a, I mean, it's, it's probably one of the most pop it's the, it's one of the most popular Mad Max movies, but it's also probably the worst Mad Max movie. Definitely the silliest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, also in 1985, this is a huge one. The breakfast club. Um, it's, it's got, I mean, you know, that's one that you could easily, uh, say has a chance in the, in the race there. Uh, another great John Hughes, uh, movie, uh, he, you know, he could just do no wrong back in the mid eighties. Um, yeah. uh, but, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that was, that was a perfect movie for, uh, not only high schoolers, but when you were later in high school. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, perfect movie. What did the Academy go with in this year? Was Cat- it out of Africa? <laughs> the Academy went with out of Africa, which is a piece of shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> How do you really feel? <laughs> with a good uh, score though. Yeah. Okay. Um, so <laughs> out of Africa is just one of the worst best pictures of all time. Well, it really uh, is. I agree. I didn't like it. Uh, I'm curious to know what you guys think about witness. Uh, with Harrison Oh, I Ford. love witness. Okay, great. Because it, yeah. it was, uh, it flirted with a dark horse chance, um, snowballs chance in hell, but it flirted with that for me because I really like that movie, but I have no concept of what the general public thinks of it. This was also the first year of Spielberg going for Oscars, uh, like really going for it. Um, he had uh, done Indiana Jones and E.T. and Close Encounters and all these movies and then finally does The Color Purple, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, it's the first time Spielberg really went to that. I'm not I'm not a little boy anymore type of, uh, you know, movie. And uh, um, I haven't seen The Color Purple in forever, but I remember it being good. Um, yeah. Well, it was also 
it was a really big year for cult cult movies. Uh, one of one one of them was Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, which was you know the the big Tim Burton. It wasn't his debut, but it was a you know kind of his coming out. Party. Yeah, it was essentially his debut. Yeah, and it was a perfect subject for him. You know, the the guy who's completely over the the, the character that's completely over the top, and you know, completely in its own universe. It's it's actually kind of similar to another movie that I like because it it kind of uses kind of the weird visuals for like large Marge and like you know almost uh, hallucinatory scenes and things like that. But the other one is Better Off Dead mm-hmm. uh, with with John Cusack and uh, Savage Steve Holland uh, directed it, and they use like these weird vignettes of like. I think it's like burgers and hot dogs and buns, like, you know, dancing to Van Halen halfway through it when he's like in the, the fast food restaurant and they do like every, everybody wants some, but uh, that's a really terrific movie. It's completely absurd. It ties in a lot. Chris and I were talking last night about a South Park episode that kind of mimics the, uh, the ski race uh, down the K-12 in Better Off Dead. (laughs) but yeah, it's uh, it's good stuff. Everybody should check that out. Um, also, uh, this year, Weird Science, another John Hughes movie, by the way. Yeah, Weird Science uh, gave John Hughes that one-two uh, punch. Basically, he came out with two movies in this one year, and while Breakfast Club, uh, deservedly so, gets most of the praise, Weird Science uh, has a place in a lot of people's hearts. So, like, especially. Uh, people my age and everything. And uh, Kelly LeBrock was the hottest woman we'd ever seen in our sure. lives. Well, um, and for today's, like for younger listeners who've never seen that movie, go check it out just to see a wildly different Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, what a, just what an amazing run Hughes had. And, and just to have two come out in the same year, too. Uh, well, this is, um, I was going to, did you guys talk about Teen Wolf already? Nope. No. Oh man, there's another movie I saw. Uh, this this year is full of movies I saw a bunch. Goonies, Back to the Future, Teen Wolf, um, Breakfast Club, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. But Teen Wolf, man, it's it does not hold up well at all. Don't no, get me wrong. it does um, not. <laughs> and I'm not convinced it was ever good. But boy, does it have a nice, warm, fluffy, soft spot in my heart. Uh, I, I love that movie. And also, how the f- fuck did michael j fox do back to the future and teen wolf and family ties yeah all in this in this one little i mean the guy had gotten no sleep whatsoever during this period in time seriously Um, ass oh my god um yeah i i like teen wolf a lot too and and i remember when teen wolf 2 came out and jason bateman was in it and i was like i'm so excited oh this is not good at all <laughs> uh, another classic I wrote on my le- list is Fletch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, Fletch is so funny. Which they've been flirting with remaking for 10, 15 years now. Yeah. Um, and did they already make one and I just missed it? No. Um, it was going to be it Jason a- Lee there for a while. Yeah, and it was supposed to be Kevin Smith. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. So that never materialized, but that first movie is so funny. I love I love the original Fletch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty good uh, overall year for comedy uh, overall. Um, I know uh, Barrett over there loves Clue. I, l- I like it, too. I'm not as huge into Clue, but talk about Clue, Barrett. Oh, man. Clue is fantastic. You know, it, it's like when people come out with like Battleship and, you know, things like that now <laughs> where it's like based on a board game. You're like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> But in this year, they did a terrific job uh, making Clue into not only like a watchable movie and a good mystery, 
but a phenomenal comedy. It, it had everybody uh, in their prime. It, it kind of introduced America, um, reintroduced America to Tim Curry yeah. not in drag uh, this time as <laughs> as the butler in in the the mansion there. Tim Curry is unbelievable in this, and like Madeline Kahn, yeah, and, and like. I mean, just uh, it's really, really terrific. The dialogue is terrific. There's three endings to the movie, which you you don't ever uh, see. Yeah, it's just really smart and really good, which is kind of strange because I'm sure 80s audiences had the same reaction as current audiences do to like they're making that into a a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what they had also done with Clue is there was there's three different endings, but they put a different ending in different theaters when it came out. Oh, yeah. Um, So like if you you had a chance of seeing a different one, if you went to a different theater and everything, which is an interesting thing. I'm I'm sure as a projectionist, if they if they if they did it where they switched it around or something like that, where you you know had one ending for one week and then had to change out the reel or whatever for another week, that was probably maddening. But I'm I'm guessing they just kept the same ending for all the theaters and then yeah, you know that's, yeah that's crazy because yeah I grew up watching it on video and it always had like the you know, well, here's how it could have happened. And yeah. Then on there, and then it could have happened like this. And the, but this was the actual thing. Uh, so it's interesting to to think about just seeing like one of those endings. That would be kind of unsatisfying, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else, good guys? Year for, good year for comedy. Not such a great year for action. Um, mm, right? Yeah. Like the action <laughs> movies I wrote down as just, you know, notable is uh, Rambo First, Blood Part Two, Commando, mm. and Rocky Four, which isn't really an action movie. Yeah, and all this is when we started getting into the dumbing down of action movies. Uh, you know, it was it started getting to the point of just let's just have a bunch of gunfire and blowing people yeah. away and everything, yeah. and that's what people sort of craved during that Cold War era and everything. Uh, but Rocky Four ended the Cold War, of so it did. of course <laughs> so it did. And everyone I knew alive in '85 saw that movie. Oh yeah, I I was one of them. Um, yeah. Rocky four was, I mean, hindsight is 2020 and back to the future is amazing. And Rocky four is not, but uh, I watched them both equally that year over and over and over. Well, and, and what's funny is Rocky four is one of those great bad movies, isn't it? Like, yeah. It- it, yeah. It's got it's 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 about half montage that whole movie. <laughs> it really is. Um, and, and there's like four. There's four montages. There's even one. There's a montage. Then then they 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 cut to like one small scene, like it's a minute long, and then it goes to another montage <laughs> right after that. It's insane, and it's so That's short. Good, it's short. it's basically Sylvester Stallone saying, "You know what? You just want to see the fight, don't you?" And then you know, going right to it, you know. Um, so, uh, you just want me to beat up some Russian ass, don't you? Um, <laughs> that one else. Oh, Brazil is yeah. uh, so that's a, such a good mm. movie. Oh, yeah. uh, Terry Gilliam, who was mostly known for Monty Python and everything. Um, he started this, uh, sort of loopy, weird career, but those movies are really good. Like Brazil and 12 monkeys and yeah. stuff like that. Um, Brazil is a, a huge recommendation, by the way. And I think in another year, it might have a chance to win the, our best of the, of the year and everything in some people's minds probably is the best of the year. Um, but yeah, Brazil is a fantastic movie. Uh, what else guys, man, we're running out of, 
I mean, I got to talk about Cocoon, even though it doesn't start. <laughs> no, no but, you don't. Next it, movie. It's a notable <laughs> release. It, it was really popular, man. Yeah, it was. The Brimley thing in the outtakes again? <laughs> Probably so, yeah. The, the Wilford Brimley line, I forget exactly what it was. It was like, uh, we'll never get old and we'll never die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, did, did we mention Explorers? Oh, no. I really liked that movie as a kid. Yeah, uh, I did too. And most of these movies from the 80s just don't hold up super well. Uh, but that's a, a young Ethan Hawke, if you want to uh, yeah. check out. Uh, I mean, yeah. Well, <laughs> really. And- <laughs> Yeah, and speaking of Hawk, let's speak about Lady Hawk. Um, the uh, was it or another Richard Donner movie? <laughs> like this is the year that two that a guy that uh, directors did two movies or something like that. I don't know what it is, but Richard yeah. Donner another another one here for Lady Hawk. Um, uh, what do you guys think about that movie? Eh. Eh, is right. And it's the same for Legend, right? Ridley Scott did that one. Yeah, I'd rather uh, watch Willow than either one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Willow, yeah. that tells you something right there. It does. <laughs> that tells you something. But uh, it's weird. Like, Legend, I never think of that as a Ridley Scott movie. And it's, you know, I always, like, every once in a while, I'll flip, you know, I'll look at... I'll look at Legend. I'm like, who did that? Oh, fucking Ridley Scott did that movie. Hell, that's yeah. weird. With a super um, young Tom Cruise. Yeah, super young Tom Cruise. Um, what else on here, guys? There, it's it is it is running into like super cult movies at this point. Yeah, like um, Reanimator and Last Dragon. Um, yeah. and and then there's uh, Akira Kurosawa's Ron, uh, which is a good movie. Uh, it's just it's not it's not gonna you know be uh for in consideration here at the end of this but uh this was one of his last movies i i don't remember it's not his last but it's one of his last ones he did um but it's good um and then yeah after that you've got like european vacation and uh desperately seeking susan after hours seeking susan. yeah that was madonna's acting debut wasn't it uh, yeah i think it was listen madonna has an underrated acting resume between well, desperately resume seeking susan, performance history qualitatively she's okay. she's better than people really you know give her credit for is in terms of acting you know desperately seeking susan you have Evita, obviously, where she was, you know, kind of lauded in that. And, you know, Dick Tracy, which was the sultry, you know, femme fatale and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, she's she's got uh, somewhat of an underrated uh, acting career. I think you just like Madonna. I do like me some Madonna. Um, Didn't they make a Material Girl movie? No, they made a Truth or Dare movie, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and, and it's awful. Um, but then there's, there's, okay. So there's a couple more, one of them, and it seems like I always run into Woody Allen movie on these things, but the purple rose of Cairo is a really good movie. Yeah. Um, it's just not in that, you know, it's not one of the ones that we talk about that much, but, uh, it's one of his best movies. Um, purple rose of Cairo. Uh, so, uh, that's one that's worth looking at, but yeah, everything else after this is like cult stuff. And I know that we want to mention everything, but, um, but, uh, in one, I also segued away from witness. And one thing about that is I believe to the two date, that is the only Harrison Ford movie that has been, he's been nominated for his performance, which is a really weird, uh, thing to think about when you think about Harrison Ford and his career and, and everything like that. It's his only Oscar nomination. Well, he witness. was going for it in that Jackie Robinson movie though, wasn't he? Oh yeah, he was. He didn't get nominated though. No. 
Um, okay. So, uh, what's the order this week, Barrett? So this week it's Jeremy, Chris, and Barrett. All right, let's do it. Barrett's <laughs> Which vote is worthless. <laughs> Barrett's vote is worthless. Uh, yes. It's back to the future, full throttle all the way. No question about it. Um, I don't know how you could have any doubt. Not only is it my favorite movie of this year, it is quality and cultural impact. The best movie of 1985. Breakfast Club, get the hell out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I mean, I've, I've said this numerous times. Back to the Future is my favorite movie of all time. So to say it's not the best of 1985 would be ludicrous. Um, one of the back to the future i saw this in theaters but then i my my biggest relationship with it was the fact that i got the the video cassette for christmas and i probably watched it oh every day for two weeks um when i got it um so yeah back to the future is is generally a perfect movie i don't there's not much wrong with it we did do an everything wrong with video for it um but you know it it's it's there's really not i mean even if we find stuff it's not anything that would detract from the movie at all so that's that was an easy pick for me yeah uh, I'll, I'll vote for back to the future but only because of the contribution of huey lewis <laughs> yeah which i think is is underrated it's the power and- of love man it's the power of love. It's a curious thing. And I no, it's it's a, a terrific movie. I watched the crap out of this thing. Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox is the most endearing hero, one of the most endearing heroes in this type of movie history, really. Like he's relatable, he's uh he's funny, he's smart enough, and he's sarcastic enough to where everybody kind of wants to to be his friend. So he's, he's a perfect choice for this kind of thing. And it's an amazing fantasy. I mean, to think that you can go back in time and, and not only is it that you are trying to get back to your present time, but you can also improve your lot in life, uh, when you get back. And, uh, that's always been a, a, a great fantasy and appeal to me and everything, but it's just funny throughout. There's not one bad note in that movie. I know that, uh, some people will bring up the beginning of the movie is not that great, but it sets up so many things that it's it's, you know, on multiple viewings, that first part of it, which is not bad at all, in my opinion, uh, becomes better because you just know what you know, it sets up. It's laying the groundwork for everything that comes afterwards. Um, anyway, we'll uh, back to the future. Unanimous uh, winner on that one. <laughs> no, no, no surprise there. No doubt. All right, so that was 1985. Um, so looking ahead to 1986, what do we got? We got Ferris Bueller's Day Off, of course. We've got Top Gun. We've got Stand By Me. We've got Highlander. We've got Aliens. We've got Platoon. Um, oh God. We've got Pretty in Pink. we got Blue Velvet. Labyrinth. Wow. The Fly. I wow. mean, it's a lot of good stuff. Um uh let's see what else big I trouble already, in little china i already know my vote howard the duck little shop of horrors manhunter crocodile dundee maximum overdrive short circuit space camp nine and a half weeks jesus three amigos um <laughs> i can't year. wait to talk about short circuit oh yeah <laughs> fisher stevens <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and uh let's not forget the karate kid part two let's not forget that guys no. or the often overlooked harrison ford masterpiece uh mosquito coast oh that's uh, right where where martha plimpton says to river phoenix 
I think about you when I go to the bathroom. Ooh, ooh, yeah. One of the strangest movie moments I've ever experienced. I was like, what I does have, that even mean? I've wow. never seen The Mosquito Coast, but I've heard it's good. It's a Peter Weir movie, I think. It's, um, it's not great, but I didn't hate it. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, that's the that's stuff to chew on for 1986. We'll be talking about that on the next Zengast. Today, our main topic is we're going to try to sell each other movies that either we hate or that we've never seen before. They're selling, Mortimer. Always be closing. Were you sent here by the devil? No, good sir. I'm on the level. So, uh, Barrett, do you want to take it away on this one? Yeah, so this kind of came up when uh, Chris and Jeremy and I were talking about uh, the movies that we hadn't hadn't seen from the IMDb Top 100. And it got into a thing where Jeremy was selling Chris on Singing in the Rain, which he didn't realize he had already seen, but that's beside the point. <laughs> And yep. Chris was selling Jeremy on Amelie uh, because Jeremy hadn't seen it and uh, got some good responses on SoundCloud and Twitter uh, where people said, that's a that's a really good topic. You should do that uh, for movies that you haven't seen before or, and uh, and ones that maybe you, you've seen and you, you don't like at all. But that uh, one of the other people said, you know, this is really this is really good. You should take another shot at it. So we're going to do that today. Uh, we're going to take a, a movie that some of us haven't seen, and then we're going to take a movie that um, uh, some people have seen but may not have liked. And I'll go ahead and just start off because I've got what I think is a really fun one, and it's one that Chris hasn't seen. Uh, Jeremy has seen it, but uh, it's uh, Nymphomaniac Volume 1. Mm. And so this was a, he <laughs> couldn't help but uh, but notice this movie when it came out a couple of years ago. It was Lars von Trier. Uh, who's a very controversial director um, that's done Antichrist before and a few other uh, uh, really controversial movies. And this one was uh, really him going all in on the, on the crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he really, um, it, it was interesting because it, during the press and anytime you get this guy in front of a, a press corps, it's just comedy gold because he really tries to fuck with everybody. And for this one, he comes out and he's like, I really wanted to make a porno movie. <laughs> and he did. And he yeah, did. This well, is a porno did. movie, basically. <laughs> but, but so, you know, it came, it's, it's actually still on Netflix now. So if you got Netflix, um, make sure your wife or husband is out of the, the, uh, the house for a while and put it on. The interesting thing about it, though, is it's not exactly what you'd expect. Yes, there is a lot of, like, um, explicit sex scenes. And, yes, there's a lot of, like, you know, in-your-face um, sexuality. But the interesting thing about this movie that I wasn't expecting is that it goes a lot deeper. It's not – it intellectualizes this woman's kind of uh, path in life. Chris, you haven't seen it. Jeremy, you have seen it. But it's has it been a while or have you seen it recently? I think when it first hit Netflix, I was curious enough just for the Shia LaBeouf factor and, you know, the controversy. Um, so it's been a while. And I, I I agree with you. I remember thinking, you know, this this movie is trying to take these ideas and concepts a lot deeper than I expected. But I didn't really feel like I needed it. Right? Like, do I really – how much time do I want to spend in the mind of this girl? Uh, you know what I mean? Well, that's an interesting question because – First of all, if you like Lars von Trier, this is my favorite Lars von Trier uh, movie, actually. And I, I'm kind of a fan of his. Uh, it is – it's equal parts the most accessible and one of the most disturbing. Now, Antichrist was plenty disturbing. Uh, but this is just kind of 
very raw, uh, but very uh, balanced, I thought, for for whatever reason. And it kind of starts off with uh, this woman named Joe, played by Charlotte Gainsbourg uh, in the older version, and Stacey Martin is the younger version. And it, she is assaulted in an alley. Stellan Sarsgaard finds her and kind of nurses her back to health. And she starts telling him the story of, of her. And she comes out and says, you know, I'm a nymphomaniac. I basically am obsessed with sex. And what you'd expect from a, a kind of a loner guy that lives on his own and everything is uh, the titillation factor and things like that. But he actually, every story that she tells which get progressively more and more fucking bonkers he reacts completely innocuously he's like well here's the reason that 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 she did that he's he's trying to rationalize her her paraphilia essentially and it's really enlightening so it's armchair philosophy uh but uh, it's 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 really interesting stuff and the last thing i say about it the casting choices are also bonkers in this movie uh, Jeremy mentioned Shia LaBeouf is the love interest for a nymphomaniac, which kind of makes sense somehow, but also is just kind of weird because it's Shia LaBeouf doing Shia LaBeouf shit. Um, and uh, Stacey Martin is really, really good as the young Joe. Uh, LaBeouf is basically as annoying as as he always is in these things, but he's supposed to be in this one. Um, and the, my favorite casting choice in this is Uma Thurman comes in. And plays this wronged wife and comes in uh, to confront her husband as she as he's having this tryst with with Joe. And she is absolutely insane. She <laughs> brings her kid into this woman's apartment, her kids, and uh, like basically just in your face, like, here's what you're giving up. Here's what your whole family that's leaving you. And at one point she says, kids, do you want to see the whoring bed? <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and takes them back to see like this woman's uh, this woman's bed. And they end up having dinner anyway. She completely <laughs> loses it, and it's a it's a hilarious scene. Uh, it's it's very very interesting. Um, I don't know if I've, I've properly sold you on this movie, but it was uh, it was much more than I anticipated for it. So you should try it. You should uh, go and see it. Uh, we were decrying earlier the lack of options, good options on Netflix recently. And uh, this is one that's that's actually worthwhile watching. Well, and we should add the caveat, as long as you're like 18 or older. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I should say that. Yeah. you got to have your parents' pen. I mean, your own pen. Right. <laughs> now, you've also expertly left out volume two on this argument. Is that yeah. is that a bad movie or is it uh, is it? Is it just volume one or is it? It's, do I, it's inessential. I, I think Willem Dafoe is in it. I don't remember much of it. You know, the buildup is really the uh, the essential part and kind of going through her background and everything. So volume one is really all you need. You don't need five hours of this. Um, now, is it is it explicit like real porno stuff or is it? Like, yes, it's not yeah, the actors. It sure actors. looks like it. No, yeah, absolutely. I don't it's, know how he did it, but it's a combination of digital effects from actual porn stars and sex toys and things like that. But it is as real as you could possibly get something on screen. It's really odd when these movies do that. Like, it's it's always strangely off-putting weird when it when a movie decides you know what we're gonna show penetration yeah <laughs> um it's like uh, uh the movies I, I saw one in the theater called short bus 
um, <laughs> that was like that. And I was just like, God, I mean, I get, I kind of, I get what you're going for, but, um, but it, it's, it does, it just doesn't make me feel comfortable being in a movie theater watching stuff like this. <laughs> and like, uh, I mean, I know that, you know, it, see, like if you go to a porn theater, you're expecting that, right? You're going to, to watch that. And, and then there's another one called Nine Songs. Michael Winterbottom did. Uh, Nine Songs was another one that decided that, ah, well, we're just going to show the sex. We're not going to simulate anything. Um, and the Brown Bunny did that too. Um, yeah. And it's just weird. It's uh, it. I don't know what the statement is. If, if there is a statement, well, to they're be very had. yeah. They're they're very rarely good movies, right? Like Gaspar Noé's Love just came out. Not yeah, too long ago. the whole shtick with that was that it was in 3D. Oh yeah, it showed actual like you know ejaculation and stuff like oh. that. And it made it very real <laughs> if you're watching it in 3D. Which, hey. No thanks. No thanks, man. Yeah. No thanks. Yeah. Now that I've regaled you all with my porno story. All right. So um, I've talked about it once or twice on the podcast before, uh, but I don't think either one of you have seen the Tom Hardy movie Locke. No. No. And I've heard a lot of people tell me I should so see Locke, so I'll be interested. Yeah. And so all I really knew about this movie going in um, was that it was Tom Hardy in a car making phone calls the entire movie and that it had really good reviews. And this is one of those memorable viewing experiences where – my buddy Josh happened to be over. My brother happened to be in town. Josh's older brother is friends with him, and he happened to be here. So all four of us um, were like, let's watch a movie. And I was like, I got this Blu-ray here. And uh, so we put it in. And basically, here's the setup, um, if that's not enough to sell you. Um, so Tom Hardy is this construction supervisor somewhere in Europe, about to oversee this huge concrete pour. Uh, but he's also just found out that the girl he had an affair with is pregnant and about to give birth. And so... And he's married with kids. Um, so he basically, other than the affair, uh, this is like the, the most solid moral guy I've seen in a movie in a long time. He decides, okay, despite this big concrete pour and possible complications, despite what my wife's going to think, I need to go be with this girl while she has my baby. So he gets in the car. Actually, the movie starts with him in the car. And basically, he makes a series of 36 phone calls over the course of this movie. He talks to the mistress who's pregnant. He talks to this underling he left behind who has all kinds of questions and complications with the concrete pour. Uh, he talks to his wife. He talks to his boss. He talks to his son. And it is one of the most compelling, moving movies I've ever seen. Um, and it, it's not just a, a gimmick. It's, it's It could easily have been with maybe a different actor. Uh, but this is – and I love Tom Hardy and everything he's done. This is the best I've ever seen him. Um, he covers such a range of emotions – and when it was done, all four of us were just sacked. We were just, wow, that was heavy. So I really think you guys should check it out. I, I don't want to say too much more about what happens because it's better that you just sort of discover it. But if you didn't think a two-hour movie about a guy making phone calls in his car could be compelling, you're wrong. Well, it's huh. kind of like a uh, phone booth, right? Except uh, not you know, except good. Like, I mean, <laughs> like phone booth is, is, uh, you know, is the ridiculous. It, it, the whole thing is the gimmick, you know, it's the, you know, Oh, I'm stuck in a phone booth and I'm right. getting, uh, I'm getting threats from Kiefer Th Sutherland on break from 24 and, and like, you know, uh, just, uh, <laughs> that was the pitch actually. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, you, yeah, it's funny when it's you watch like Michael J. Fox where he can work, you know, several jobs at once. Yeah. Well, I think he actually went back. Back to the Future to do Teen Wolf. I think he did. He went back in the past. <laughs> he did the Hermione thing. He did the, you know, mm -hmm. he did that. Uh, but 
Yeah, they did the time turner thing. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, but yeah, phone booth. <laughs> just, I don't want to talk about phone booth all the time, but like it really did feel like that. Like Kiefer Sutherland was doing like, uh, okay, uh, Kiefer, today you're going to do that. Uh, you know, but uh, the following takes place between one a.m. and two a.m. And uh, oh yeah, here's some lines from phone booth. And uh, oh yeah, and then after that, we got some more twenty four stuff for you to do. Okay, all right, that's great. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, I, this is a movie that people have talked to me about, and, and I and I and I never heard it described this way. I just heard it was him in a car the whole time. So that was, you know, that was an interesting little. You didn't give away anything, but you know, it it made me want to see it. So job well done. There you go. I can't wait until you watch it a couple of days from now and realize you've already seen it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's like, oh yeah, I actually saw this in the theater. Shit. Ugh. How could I have forgotten? It was called Drive. This Father's Day, celebrate the dads who bring joy, love, and laughter into our lives with a gift from Mickey Couture. Our luxurious, ultra-soft blankets are the perfect way to show your appreciation for all the big and little moments he creates. Whether he's cheering on his favorite team or sharing bedtime stories, a Mickey Couture blanket will wrap him up in comfort and love. Visit MinkyCouture.com or head to your nearest store and find the perfect blanket to make this Father's Day unforgettable. Mickey Couture, because dads deserve the very best. Um. Um, uh-huh. Yes. Um, so it's your turn, buddy. Yeah. Uh, I talked about this movie um, when we did 1977, uh, the movie Sorcerer. Uh, uh-huh. William William Friedkin uh, had done The French Connection, and he did The Exorcist, and he had sort of a hiatus there where he hadn't done anything. And so uh, I, was, uh, I was actually reading some of the notes on this movie today. And he was talking about how, uh, he wanted to do a movie that wasn't horror and it wasn't uh, a cop movie. And, and he wanted to do something that was kind of like the treasure on the Sierra Madre, which I don't know if any of you guys have seen uh, before, but it's, uh, but that's a good movie. Um, and, uh, and so he decided that he was going to do, uh, basically what is a remake of the wages of fear. Now I, uh, we've, when we, when I mentioned sorcerer last time, we had somebody come on Twitter, I think, and say, Hey, if you know, you like sorcerer, then you're going to like the wages of fear. It's a movie came out in like 1953. Uh, but I don't, I don't know what the changes are. I guess if there's anything that comes out of this, I'm also going to be talking myself into watching the wages of fear <laughs> after this. Um, but, um, but, uh, sorcerer is a is is an adventure movie and you would never think that from of course the title which was a classic blunder on the uh, uh on the part of all the filmmakers involved they made this movie called sorcerer from william friedkin whose last movie was the exorcist and of course a lot of people thought oh this is going to be more horror from him and that's going to be great and it's nothing like that whatsoever it, <laughs> even though the movie itself is so is 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 almost hilarious in in the way they do the title the title is all horror and everything and there's like this scary mask and there's the tangerine dream soundtrack on it and everything and it's just like sorcerer you know and it's like oh no what are we about to get into and then like immediately it goes into like oh here's this guy in this in this city and then we're gonna go to this guy in this city and all that you know um uh, but it uh, follows these it follows these three people in three different cities all doing they're all like uh, criminals and uh, and but for all various reasons or whatever they're moved to uh, this small town in like Central America or something like that 
Um, and they all get into this, they all get into like basically financial straits. Uh, once they're down there, they, they either want to leave or they, whatever, they, they're just not living a, a good life anymore. And, um, so one of the guys, uh, that, that it's what actually what happens is, is a, an oil refinery, uh, blows up. And, uh, this is like, uh, uh, a weird political situation in the town and everything. Like some people consider it a heroic deed to blow up an American oil rig and all this other stuff. <laughs> and there's like all this, um, but the, uh, the company uh, wants to stop the fire. And the only way to stop this fire is to blow it up with nitroglycerin or, or dynamite. Um, so they, they, there's a, some dynamite that's stored like 200 miles away, but it's not stored very well. And the nitroglycerin has started to, leak down into the boxes and is not very safe anymore. So their, their whole, the whole uh, plot basically at this, at this point is they need to get this dynamite over to the oil refinery to, to blow up whatever they need to blow up to stop the fire. And they need to go across 200 miles of this jungle basically Hmm. to do it. And, they tell you right off. This is how the suspense builds in this movie. When they first go in, like the, the, the company goes in to check out this dynamite. That's not stored very well. It's like in a shack in the middle of the jungle. Um, this guy like starts, he opens the box very carefully and like he, he starts feeling, feeling around in the box very slowly and he gets a little bit of nitroglycerin on him. And like, as soon as he does that, he starts walking like, like he's carrying an egg on a spoon basically and goes out and like, he just kind of like, you know, uh, flicks his hand and there's like this huge explosion basically. Wow. And, and uh, it's not enough to like blow his hands off or anything like that. It's just, just enough to, to, you know, you know, blow some trees out of the way or whatever. And like, so, so immediately, you know, this is a, this is a dangerous thing. Like why even bother to try this? You know, this is going to be really hard to do. They have to find the best of the best of drivers uh, uh, and professional men that are in the town to drive these trucks full of nitroglycerin, 200 miles through the jungle, basically no real roads. And uh, so uh, you know, it's like Roy Scheider and there's a couple of other people that are like international stars who are all, you know, who we all got introduced to in the beginning of the movie. And it's just so interesting to watch them uh, get the trucks just right. And, and, you know, there it's funny how just, just generally showing professionalism is an interesting and fun thing to watch in a movie hmm. uh, when they're getting all this stuff prepared and ready to go. Um, but there, there are two amazing action scenes basically in this one where they have to drive across this rickety ass bridge. Both of these trucks, like one has to go first and then the next one comes, you know, by five, 10 minutes later or whatever. But the one, the one goes, the one, they go over this rickety bridge and it's like just nothing but just going, I got to go as slow as possible. And I have to dodge all this other stuff that's going on, on this bridge. And right after he, right after, you know, and so like on the second one, the second one has to go over the bridge after the first one. And it's a worse in worse shape because the first one went through. So like they have that type of thing. And then there is an action scene. I don't want to really talk too much about it because it's, it's one of the best things I've ever seen in a movie Mm. um, where they have to find a way to get a, 
a fallen huge tree out of their path. And uh, the, the method by which they get that tree or try to get that tree out of the way is, is just one of the best things I've ever seen. Hmm. It's, it's like MacGyver, but it makes sense. You know, it's not like MacGyver, you know, MacGyver would be like in a, you know, a, a cell. They'd throw him in some room or whatever, and he'd find like yarn and, and paper clips and all this other type of stuff to get out of it or whatever. This is sort of MacGyvering your way out of a situation and everything. And meanwhile, even though they get, you know, even there's there's always the um, there's always the threat of danger during this entire time. They've got freaking nitroglycerin in the back of their trucks. And so there's always the danger that something's going to happen no matter what uh, they're doing in the movie. So you always have to keep that in mind. And uh, it's, it's just, I mean, it's as thrilling a movie as you'll ever see. And just, and the story behind it, just the fact that Friedkin tried to get Steve McQueen to be the, uh, the main star in this movie, but McQueen wouldn't do it because he wanted he wanted a role for his wife, Allie McGraw, in the movie. And there's no female parts in that movie at all, except for like the wife. And at the beginning, there's a wife character uh, and everything. But uh, because Friedkin couldn't come up with any reason that to put Allie McGraw in it, he didn't get Steve McQueen. Hmm. Um, so, um, so, and then, you know, just the fact they called it sorcerer and, and then they came out with this movie, uh, only a month after star Wars. And, uh, when it, when it, when sorcerer tried when sorcerer, um, came in to, uh, you know, kick star Wars out, a lot of theaters, you know, just weren't making any money anymore. So they had to put star Wars back in. Um, there were, uh, it, it took a long while for sorcerer to get, um, to get any kind of accolades. And I think a lot of people have started to find it now, but, um, uh, but, uh, it is, uh, uh, a movie that you should rediscover or discover, um, you know, it's, it's a movie that you really need to watch. Um, just hearing your description, why the fuck did they name this movie sorcerer? That's one of the big blunders of the movie. They called it Sorcerer, and uh, and and I think in the Blu-ray thing that I have, it says that uh, he just named it that because that's one of the that's the name of one of the trucks that's in the in the movie. Um, but it and he he actually said he he wanted to call the movie Ball Breaker. Um, <laughs> and the. It's yeah. And the producer was like, are you, are you nuts? And he's like, yeah, I guess I am. Uh, because yeah, you're not going to be able to sell a movie across America called ball breaker. Um, I don't know why they couldn't just call it wages of fear again, but I think Friedkin, uh, was trying to make a remake that wasn't actually a remake. Like, you know, like everything that happened in the first one happens in this one too. Um, but, uh, but Friedkin, uh, was at a point, he was kind of like Coppola was, uh, where he had made two amazing hits critically and, and, uh, and financially. Uh, and he thought that because he directed it, it didn't matter what, what he called it, who he put in, uh, he, people would come see it. Hmm. Uh, so that was, that was sort of his attitude. He even writes that in the Blu-ray thing. He's, he said, man, I just had an ego run amok basically. Um, and you know, he got Roy Scheider to be the main guy in this, uh, Roy Scheider had come off of jaws. And so he was somewhat of a name, but 
but but Friedkin had lost contact with him over the years because if you remember the French Connection, Roy Scheider's in that. Um, he uh, Friedkin didn't want Scheider to be in The Exorcist. It was one of the priest roles, and Scheider just sort of stopped talking to him after that. Um, so he had to, he had to go and get him for sorcerer, but, um, but, uh, he had to get him after the Steve McQueen stuff happened. And I, I still, I still would like to know why, how Steve McQueen thought he was going to get Ally McGraw in this movie, but, uh, but that's what happened. And, and what, and after he felt, after he came through, there were like two amazing international stars, apparently that also dropped out cause they wouldn't want to be. Uh, they didn't want to be uh, second billing to anybody other than Steve McQueen. Hmm. But uh, there, so there were a lot of problems, obviously, with the making of this movie. But once you see it, it I mean, it's it, it's obvious there was obvious dangers involved with making the movie. One of the funniest, um, the not funniest, but I guess it's uh, it's, you know, sort of a, a Murphy's Law type of things with uh, this movie is I talked about the rickety bridge scene. Uh, they built a bridge for like a million dollars in this. Uh, I don't remember where the first one was, but uh, there was the, these roaring waters going by it and everything. And then out of nowhere, there was a drought and there was no more river where they built this bridge. So they had to move it to another place in like Mexico and they built this bridge again, another million dollars. And then that river went down. It like went down to like an almost nothing. So they had to use what they had and get like rain machines and, 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 you know, wind machines and all this other stuff to make it look like it was a, a big river still. Uh, I think like if, if the car fell, it was going to go into like five feet of water or something like that, but it was still a dangerous, it was still a dangerous stunt because you could still like, you know, crash and all this other type of stuff. But mother uh, nature did not like the title either. No, no, it didn't. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just having that as a background, I would want to see this movie, but the movie itself is just, it's really, it's just fantastic. Well, all right, right we got to see it then. You sold yeah. it. Um, yeah. All right, Barrett, go for it. I know you're going to try to sell us a movie that I don't think can be sold. I'm going to sell you this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to sell you this movie. And in the research for how disliked this movie was, not just by Chris and, and Jeremy too, but, uh, just the world at large, it's shocking, like how aggressively poorly reviewed this was. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it was it's G.I. Joe Rise of the Cobra. Oh, okay, so this is like the original G.I. Joe. <laughs> Not the original, obviously. The original was based on a Hasbro toy, and mm-hmm. then they made the cartoon series that was popular in the 80s, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then in 2009, uh, along with, I think it came out, right around the Star Trek reboot, um, the uh, yeah. G.I. Joe Rise of the Cobra came out. And if you're a fan of G.I. Joe, like like I was when I was a kid, you know, you have kind of a... Were you guys a, a fan of the, the show and the toys and all that stuff when you were kids? Well, no, because I think it was probably too wartimey and military for my parents to let me watch it. I was a Transformers fan because I guess when it's robots, they don't care if I'm seeing something get blown up. So no, I was yeah. never a G.I. Joe kid. And I'm, I guess I'll take some shame for that. But um, no. <laughs> well, the interesting thing about uh, G.I. Joe cartoon is that nobody ever died. There were lasers flying <laughs> everywhere and nobody ever died in the, in that show. 
I know I watched the show. I never had the action figures, though, but I, I did watch the show. I could not tell you one episode of it, though. I mean, I watched it a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, it was it was basically the it was a series of catchphrases, right? Like the real American hero and like knowing is half the battle and all mm-hmm. that stuff was, yep. was kind of the thing. But it was targeted towards kids. And and like that, this movie uh, was a very reductive. Uh, it had went in this with very low expectations, probably lower than what I did for Batman versus Superman. Yeah. So maybe that's where I got this. But. Um, but I'm going to sell you this movie just based on the cast. Okay. So this was 2009. Uh, the cast of GI Joe rise of the Cobra included Channing Tatum pre magic Mike pre 21 Jump street <laughs> and everything. Uh, but still like in his action movie buff thing, uh, he still has glimpses of being Channing Tatum, like the, uh, the charismatic leading man that he will become later on. Um, he's not all the way there yet, but he's, you know, getting there. And God bless him, he's trying. Uh, so anyway, he's in there. Uh, Sienna Miller is in uh, as his main uh, love interest. And Sienna Miller is a great actress, right? Uh, I know she's not, you know, terrific in, in this particular movie. But the interesting thing about uh, Sienna Miller to me is, you know, she's only 34. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like she's, been, like around she's been, been around forever. She has right? been around forever. Like, uh, I remember before, I mean, even before this, she was in a lot of like indie movies and stuff before this. Yeah, and, and, and you like, uh, yeah, all that. Yeah. And, uh, so, and, and she always looks different too. I can never, yeah. I can never pinpoint her in a movie. She always looks different. Like when she's an American sniper, I'm like, who is this? I don't yeah. know who this is. Oh, Oh, it's Sienna Miller. Holy crap. Yeah. Well, in this, she is in full on action movie, action figure, skin tight leather. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> yes. So do with that what you will, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. Jonathan Price is in this, uh, mm-hmm. playing the president. Uh, you Game of Thrones fans would, you know, he's the high sparrow in Game of Thrones. And he was also in Brazil from yep. 1985. Yep. Dennis Quaid, who everybody knows, a great actor, long track record. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in this movie <laughs> as Cobra Commander. Uh, <laughs> Ray Park is in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> Darth Maul himself uh, plays uh, Snake Eyes. And he is amazing. The scenes with Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow, the two ninjas, the two opposing <laughs> ninjas uh, for the sides, um, are really, really terrific action pieces. Um, a couple more. Byung Han Lee, who is in The Magnificent Seven, mm-hmm. uh, is is actually Storm Shadow in this. Uh, so he's in this. And then say what you will about the movies he's been in, but Marlon Wayans in at least scary movie, like the first two were, was really funny. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's in this too, is mostly the comic relief, but also, you know, a big action piece himself. So that cast is not so bad, right? Cast is not bad. How's the, how's the movie trend? Okay. Okay. I'm just, you know, just, you know, just <laughs> cast out there. All right, so the plot moves along. It, it's again, this is not a great movie, people. I'm not telling this is a great movie. I'm saying this is a good action movie. This is a fun movie. This is something that you can throw on on like a Saturday night or a Sunday afternoon or something like that, and kind of let your brain leak out of your ears. But it's it's not as bad as what you would think. It's not like it's not nearly as bad as a Transformers movie. It is not nearly as bad as some of the big blockbuster, you know, Batman versus Superman stuff. The plot moves along pretty quickly. Um, the the action is terrific. Uh, like I said, especially between the the two opposing ninjas, um, the the dialogue is fun. 
It's it's got an interesting backstory that's enough to keep your attention. It kind of gets long in uh, in in the whole Sienna Miller Channing Tatum thing, but again, it's it's not bothersome. Uh, and the backstory between Channing Tatum and Joseph Gordon Levitt is awesome. He is into nanobots, right? And, and into nanobots as being like a, uh, a a means of terrorism for a new world order. And this is the guy that becomes Cobra Commander. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in this weird like respirator mask and everything. And he's not full on Cobra Commander yet. He's this kind of uh, gimpy scientist that's kind of just sequestered in the lab all the time. He used to be a war hero. And uh, then by the end of it, he becomes, you know, super sized with all of his nanobots and all that stuff. But the nanobot <laughs> technology is is kind of a cool feature. It takes down the Eiffel Tower. It uh, it destroys a little bit of Europe. But, you know, it's 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 like fun destruction. Yeah. So it's 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 also like the cartoon, by the way, nobody really dies. Um, <laughs> so you don't have to worry about like putting some stakes in on somebody and like seeing them go. Um, anyway, to summarize, great cast. Fun action movie, great um, action set pieces, um, a lot of fun uh, performances and things like that. And I think I've sold this movie. (laughs) (laughs) To who? Yeah, you haven't. But I may just out of sheer morbid curiosity, watch it again and see if there's any redeeming value whatsoever. There is. Because I know, I know. I'm going to hate this again when I watch this, but no, I'll watch it with me. I'll no, look, watch it with me. No, I'll look we'll watch it together. Yeah. Okay. I'll try to hide my boner. And <laughs> we're going we're to watch this together and you're going to see how beautiful this movie is. Because a lot of the things that you just talked about are also reasons why I wouldn't like the movie. What? Um, uh, the, uh, for instance, um, the Channing Tatum, Sienna Miller thing, why do we have to get everybody together in these movies all the time, man? But why they were do together we... earlier? No, they were together no, before. That's, exa- that's, that's the exact... whole conflict. That's what that's what the fucking A team did, and <laughs> and I can't I can't stand that movie either. A team did yeah, that, fuck that movie where it was like Bradley Cooper and Jessica Biel used to date and everything. And then they just happened to run in each other and the next thing. And it's like, Oh, you know, uh, you did a bunch of bad stuff to me when we were dating. Oh yeah. And you did some bad stuff to me. And then it's like a bunch of just arguing and stuff throughout the movie and everything. They did it like, in Jurassic world too. Yeah. They did that in Jurassic world as well. And it, it, it's something that all that, uh, you know, that sexual tension stuff that they put in these movies, it's just eye rolling to me every single time. They're like, well, can't we just let, the woman just be an, an awesome action star and not like a love interest or something. Now, I'll tell you why this is important because it takes nanobot technology for her not to love Channing Tatum. Uh-huh. Once the nanobots are removed, spoilers, once they're removed, she falls back to fucking love with them and everything's fucking good. Well, I think it's also worth pointing out that there may be a demand for that. Like, Star Wars Force Awakens came out, and what's everybody talking about? Like, Poe should be with Finn, or who's going to get with Rey, or what have you. Like, I think they may just believe the bulk of America wants a romance in all these movies. Yeah, I guess so. I I just feel like it's always out of place, every single time. I don't disagree. Um, At the very least, uh, I don't know why it has to be the main characters all the time. Like, 
I guess I guess it's not a real romance if if Sienna Miller is in love with uh, somebody who's a stay at home dad or something like that. You know, I don't know. Well, it's a movie though. Like, right? If if Deadpool didn't have the central love story, it could have still been a bonkers uh, action movie, right? Mm-hmm. But it kind of there's some sort of grounding force. That's plot. Otherwise, he's like completely off the rails, right? But it's also plot specific too. like, it actually means something to the action that goes on in the movie. Whereas in GI Joe and a team and all that, where they just stick a room, like, you know, we used to date a subplot in the movie. Uh, it's never part of the plot. Really? You know what movie does this really well? Um, is the Martian, which we'll dedicate another mm. podcast to, because I have a weird obsession with this movie right now. And I've seen it a bunch <laughs> lately. Um, mm-hmm. But like uh, the Kate Mara character and uh, the Sebastian Stan character in the book, their romance is a little bit more played out, but in the movie it's super subtle and they're just two of the crew of the Hermes. And there's one shot where you see him waving at her and then she kisses him on his space helmet before he goes outside and says, don't tell anybody I did that. And then in the montage at the end, she's just had a baby and they're both in the hospital watching the next launch. And that's pretty much right. Like that let's And Matt Damon doesn't have a romance. And you'd think, Hollywood would give him like a wife back at home to talk to and cry with or what have you, but they didn't. And uh, I think that movie, it works really well that way um, because I don't think that movie needs a romance for the main character. Yeah. And, and you're right. They easily could have done that where it's like someone's at home or on the ship or something like that, that, you know, it could have easily been, you know, um, Jessica Chastain, Uh, you know, whereas like, you're like, she made the decision to leave, her boyfriend, uh, her boyfriend, you know, and <laughs> well, and, and even the trailer was cut together to make you think he had family back at home. He was crying about, uh, yeah, I remember that vividly. Right. But, uh, anyway, yeah. Out of sheer morbid curiosity, I'm going to watch GI Joe again. Yes. And, yes! And, I sold that movie. And, and, uh, and, and then, uh, later on, I'll make some sort of snide remark. You don't know when you don't know where, but I'm going to make a snide <laughs> remark about that movie and Barrett's love of it. Uh, but, um, but, uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to get you to watch it again, man. You're going <laughs> to fall in love all over again. Listen, uh, for the first time, it really. again out of morbid curiosity, you didn't sell anything. It's like saying, <laughs> Hey, want to go see a dead body in the woods? <laughs> no, I just heard, I just heard that he's going to watch it again. And that means I sold it. <laughs> okay. All Jeremy. Right. All right. Well, I'm going to attempt to sell you Tron legacy. Oh my God. <laughs> Which uh, <laughs> is a fool's errand for sure. Uh, yeah, 51% yeah. Uh, from the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 63 from the audience. Um, and I don't, I don't know what it is. Certainly I'm not telling you this movie is an A plus. Uh, let's mm-hmm. get that out of the way. We, we, we set out to find movies that we knew somebody else in our group hated um, and you pretty much stuck with shitty movies at that point. Um, so mm-hmm. we're looking for bad movies we enjoy or we enjoy more than others. And that's this for me, man. And I don't know, the biggest complaint that I've ever seen or the most common one seems to be that it's it's just very um, unfeeling. It's very sterile, um, which I think kind of fits the story of what's going on. Um, but man, this movie just sets a mood that I dig, and it's a combination of the visuals and the Daft Punk score. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's sexy. That's probably mostly due to Olivia Wilde's presence. Yeah, um, I can get past the weird Jeff Daniels CGI younger face. Um, I would rather watch this than the original Tron, and I know that's heresy for many, but I saw the original Tron a few weeks ago. It looks like shit. 
Like, (laughs) I mean, maybe you like the nostalgia of it or the story and and that can pull you through, but visually it hasn't held up at all. And Tron Legacy is the very epitome of slick ass looking Tron style action. Um, So probably I went in with lowered expectations because the reviews were so bad. Uh, Probably I went in with less attachment to the original than a lot of fans did. Uh, But for whatever reason, man, I dig the mood of that movie and I put it in once every few months and just leave it in the background and and really get a kick out of it. And I'm not going to do, I'm not going to pull a Barrett here and try and tell you that the relationship between Olivia Wilde and Garrett Hedlund is like key to the whatever. And it's not, I mean, it's not a great movie, but I, I really enjoy it. And I think a lot of people who disliked it went in with higher expectations than maybe they should have. And if they rewatched it here five, ten years later, they might find they enjoy it more than they thought they did. I uh I haven't seen this since it came out, so I don't I don't remember too much about it. So I think that it's possible that I, I can give this another go and see if it's improved over time. So, I mean, yeah. I mean I, I'm I'm all about like mood and everything. And of course, um a lot of times that's what makes a movie for you is, 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 you know, that type of mood. Like I said, and I'm not trying to sell this movie by the way at all today. I'm not going to try this because I haven't seen it since it came out this, this movie since it came out either. But I said the same thing about lady in the water Mm. um, where I was just in that perfect, like, ah, it's a long day of work. And this is so relaxing of a movie for me to watch right now. And it might be terrible, but I don't care. Um, but, uh, but Tron legacy. Yeah. I, I, I could see myself giving that another go. Jeff Bridges as the, the, the original character well, in his actual state in his older state is very Jeff Lebowski. And right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he's all zinned out and everything in his digital house and everything. And like it, it, at one point he's like bio digital jazz, man. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty. He's trying to like you know explain the the cacophony of the the universe. But like, now there's good scenes in there though, like the Michael Sheen character yeah. where he's basically playing like a Ziggy Stardust type of uh, character and and uh, Daft Punk cameos. Yeah, it's fun. I, th- I think it's a fun movie. You know, uh, and because memory is such a weird thing, this movie and Cloud Atlas sort of like. Uh, get confused in my mind a little bit like just for just various scenes from both of those like i could easily come up with i think this happened in tron legacy and it happened in cloud atlas oh that you're talking about that whole far future yeah there's a far future part in cloud atlas that's very tron legacy i totally get that yeah so um so but yeah uh you you sold me i'll i mean i'll i mean i think all these movies like that i didn't like and that you guys love so much. I've only seen once and I saw them under a different set of circumstances. So, you know, I'll give them another try. Why not? You've only got time. I mean, what the hell? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. What piece of shit are you going to sell us? Well, I, I, uh, I have another one that you guys haven't seen. Um, uh, and, and, you know, when it comes to movies like that, I really like that you guys don't, I don't really know of any. Um, but, uh, but if you, I'm going with another one that you guys haven't seen, and this is fear of a black hat and this movie, um, I've talked about it before, but you know, last, last week we nearly, we, we very nearly gave this a spinal tap, the best of 1984 and, Mm -hmm. uh, has very, you know, and, and deservedly. So now fear of a black hat, 
is definitely not this is spinal tap. We're not going to go and say that this is equal to that or whatever, but it is, uh, it is almost as enjoyable as that movie is. And it's basically the rap spinal tap. Hmm. Um, and it, uh, follows a, it follows a rap band known as NWH, uh, just like NWA, but with hats. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and it's set in the perfect time. It's the early nineties where rap was finally really coming into its own. And, uh, you know, becoming, you know, becoming in the eyes of more, of more and more people legitimate, you know, and, uh, because I think what Barrett, you would know better than I would the eighties, you had a small group of people who loved that rap in the eighties that, mm-hmm. uh, run DMC and, and all that. And, but, but it was really the nineties where you had Tupac and you had Dr. Dre and you had Ice Cube and all that. Yeah, yeah, because late ninety or late eighties was more of like Public Enemy doing like Fear of a Blank Planet. So yeah, it, it was more globally accepted in the nineties. Yeah, so in the nineties, it, it started becoming a, 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 a you know a bigger thing and like so. Uh, it follows this band going around with this, uh, this reporter or whatever. And she, and she's just asking them different questions. And I can tell you just a couple of the things in there that just, that are great. Like she asked them, what, if any, is the difference between a hoe and a bitch? <laughs> and, uh, and so you had somebody, one of the guys goes, a hoe fucks everybody. And then somebody <laughs> else is like, right, but a bitch fucks everybody except you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so like it goes it's it's got it's got great lines like that the origin of their name is hilarious um i'm not gonna say all the stuff that's in here but the the origin of their name itself is hilarious um the um what is it um oh yeah there's one that they they're talking about they wanted to subtitle their album don't shoot until you see the whites and uh and uh <laughs> you already sold me, dude. I'm watching this movie tomorrow. He's like of their eyes, and she goes, "Who?" And he goes, "Whose eyes?" He's like, "It's like don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes." And he's like, "Nah, don't shoot until you see the whites." Period. That's it. End of story. Who's in um, this movie? Do anybody we know? Um, like, um, there's some recognizable people. Like, if I told you their names, you may not know. But like Rusty Cundiff is the guy who directed it and he he didn't I thought he might have a career like a big career after this movie but he he did a couple others that didn't connect as well but um uh Mark Christopher Lawrence you've seen in a million things but I'm trying to I, I he okay in in Terminator 2 he's the he's one of the guys that works at the asylum uh, that when they're chaining um, uh, Linda Hamilton to her bed, she—he's the black guy okay. that's in that. He's—he's he's in a million things. Like he's a huge, and he's like a you know a huge character actor. Uh, Casey Lemons, who's in a lot of, who was, I believe was in uh, Silence of the Lambs, and 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 has gone on to have like a good directing career on her own, um, is in it. But like not very many like huge names that you would just know okay. right off the bat. Um, uh, but it's, it's great mainly because it, you know, it, it goes through there, it goes through 
you know, their, their rise to fame and all this other type of stuff. And it also goes through when they break up and they start doing their solo projects. So there's like a lot of like spoofs of PM Dawn and uh, what else is it? Like just, you know, stuff like that. They get into all the other types of music that these, that, that, uh, you know, people will get into or whatever. But um, uh, it's just, it's, it's funny and entertaining throughout. And I think that if you like, this is spinal tap you'll definitely like fear of a black hat and just don't compare the two movies as far as quality. I mean, it's still up there, but it's not as good. That sounds awesome. Yeah, so man, yeah, totally I think you, me. you win the selling contest. Today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. Yay. I won the selling contest. Probably all you had to say was the rap spinal tap and it's kind of good, even though it's not as good. That's yeah. all you had to say for me. <laughs> We're going right. on to the Q and a, we are. All right. Question. Question. I got something to say. I am listening. Okay, so these two questions came from Twitter last night, and I've just been told recently that I'm kind of a huge asshole for not, like, reading the names of the people who ask the questions, because all I ever mm. do is kind of get so many responses when I ask for questions that I'm just rapidly copy-pasting, copy-pasting. Um, but you know what, though? that's I feel like there is merit to that, though, uh, by not saying somebody's name, because... Yeah, maybe they want the credit for asking the question, but it, sometimes you get a lot of grief just for being mentioned. And yeah, stuff like yeah. That. and so, I have actually seen plenty of people on Twitter and the subreddit, you know, excited. They use my question. So uh, those are the people we want to take questions from anyway. Just to, Right. Okay. <laughs> well, we can we can experiment with uh, saying, you know, at least their first name, I guess. Oh, no, I didn't even write him down this time. Um, oh, okay. I was okay. just saying, and, and, <laughs> again, an asshole this week. Um, oh, still an asshole. So, okay. <laughs> uh, one of the ones that intrigued us to answer is what we would do to fix the DCEU, meaning the DC ex- expanded universe in film. Um, and uh, does anybody want to go first? I, I'll go first because you you guys may have stronger uh, I don't know you may have stronger arguments than I do but I feel like there's there's a blueprint right there for, uh, that what Marvel started uh, to to do your own uh, thing and that is you make individual movies from these from these people you want in Justice League. and you get good directors to do every one of them and you give them time to do it. And that's how you introduce your characters is like Batman V Superman decided, uh, I guess that we didn't want to see a wonder woman movie before getting her getting introduced in this movie. And we didn't want to see an Aquaman movie before he got introduced in this movie. Um, but now it, I mean, I guess they're making those movies, but it's like, I I'd like a better introduction to those characters before we get into, you know, justice league and all this other type of stuff. And I just think that if you just get, uh, you know, talented directors and leave them alone and let them do their stuff and have time to do it uh, and not make everything so dour all the time, uh, you just follow that Marvel uh, blueprint. Now, Marvel themselves could could look at that blueprint, yeah, get back to it. Uh, you know, they they need to get back to it because now at this point, they're all they're doing is advertising the next movie, it right. seems like to me. Uh, even though there's, you know, I mean, each one of these movies has their own merits, uh, you know, standing alone. Uh, I, I, you know, I just feel like they just need to take their time more. And that's that's my biggest theme. If you ever ask me, um, I remember uh, I remember when we were at the Providence uh, that uh, the, the Rhode Island Comic Con 
there was a guy who came up and asked, uh, how, how do I make good films? You know, first off, we're not professional filmmakers, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, um, uh, I would say though, that my number one issue with uh, all these movies recently is that they don't give them time anymore to make these things. And everything is, we've got to hit this release date. We've got to hit this release date. And, and so they're making movies with absolutely no time at all. Now, uh, they're getting, you know, they're, they've got some good blueprints for stories that they come in and they, they, you know, all right, this is a good story. Let's go for it. Boom. And, you know, and you've got some people who can handle that pressure, but I think overall, uh, if you give them one more year to make that movie, it's way better movie. So well, that's and they're certainly doing the opposite. Um, like they're going the reverse order that the you know, Marvel has, right? They're trying to do the big movie first and then sell us the solo movies. And that you're dead right in the in the sense that that's the wrong direction to go. Because when Iron Man came out, okay, I was working in the theater at the time, but I remember thinking, I don't know shit about Iron Man. I don't know if this movie's going to do good or bad. I've never read that comic. I don't know anything about him, and he's not Batman. Um, yeah, and so. There's something important that happened over the next six, seven years as they released these solo movies and audiences. Even if you didn't see the film, you started to get used to these characters and understand who they are, what their powers are. So when The Avengers comes out, boom, it's massive. And um, if they had released The Avengers first, it would have fizzled, right? Nobody, you know, a, a great, a greater number of people would have been unfamiliar with the characters and it wouldn't have cared. Right. Um, now, I have two answers to this question, how to fix the DCU, realistic and unrealistic. Uh, realistic, uh, what I would do is I would give Ben Affleck Christopher Nolan levels of control over the DCEU. Um, Hmm. I trust his directorial vision. I thought he was fantastic as Batman in Batman v Superman. Um, And I think if he can be that good a director, he can probably be that good of a producer or overseer. I'm not saying he directs everything, but the way that they sort of gave Nolan Batman and then put him in charge of Man of Steel, I would would give Ben Affleck that role. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, the unrealistic answer is I would do the opposite of Marvel and make every single film feel as different as possible. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. We're going to talk yep. about some fun superhero theoretical films down the road, but like I would make a Batman horror film. Um, oh, yeah. I would make that would be a awesome. Wonder mm. Woman World War One film. I would make an Aquaman Master and Commander type film. I would make – I would hire distinctive different visual and feel directors um, – to, to make each film in the universe, even though the universe is the same, feel as unique and different as possible. Because my biggest beef with Marvel is that it's all become homogenized to me. Um, I, I've said this before. I couldn't pick out the score from any of these MCU movies in a lineup. They all mm-hmm. sound – I would probably say Iron Man's score belonged with, you know – Thor. I don't, I'm, I'm, they're all too similar. And eventually right. I feel like there's going to be a staleness to these properties that maybe DC could avoid if they went you know, the polar opposite direction and just started making wildly different feeling films that just have the connected universe. Yeah, totally agree. Uh-huh. And like, you know, the, I think, I think also to add to that, you know, 10 years from now, when you're thinking of a scene from a Marvel movie, are you going to be like, was that in Winter Soldier or was that in Civil War or was it in Avengers? <laughs> right. I can't remember yeah. quite which one it was. I mean, yeah, you'll have the Uber nerds who always know. Yeah, but sure. But just a casual person is going to be like, oh, I can't remember which movie that was because they all look the same and sound the same. Yeah, yeah you know, when, even with uh, connected TV shows, like it works in TV 
where you have like wildly different uh, shows, one from a comedy and then like a, a character from a comedy will come over to a drama or something like that or vice versa. And it feels like kind of uh, jarring at first, but it, it's also cool. Like well, it, Netflix you, you is doing some connectivity with it. Netflix is doing that well, I think, with these Marvel shows with uh, Daredevil and uh, yeah. Jessica Jones. And yeah, yeah. Those are all in a shared universe. Uh, but have a very de- definitive, distinct feel. Yeah, film noir and action. Yeah, yeah and man, that Daredevil, I haven't seen the second season yet, but uh, the first season uh, had a couple of just amazing action scenes, mm-hmm. and I just wish that they could do that in the movies, and I've talked about that before. Oh, but the second season has a showstopper. It's even better than the first season, so you're going to Yeah, I'll, I, I can't wait to actually have time to watch that show, but like uh, the – the I'm just remembering the first season. I'm just like, man, seriously, you can't do like that hallway thing in any of these other movies. You can't, I mean, not to do the exact same thing, but you can't plot out an action scene. That's like that. You know, I mean, just come on, you know, yeah. just once one time. Yeah. I'm with you. Barrett, do you want to fix the MCEU or did we do it already? Well, no, I was going to mention that too. We we're going to tease the, uh, the superhero crossover, uh, ideas for a future, uh, sin cast. In fact, I think that may be next week. Yeah. And so, you know what? Yeah. Evan Peters, Quicksilver, uh, gave an interview this week where he said he wants a team up movie with him and Deadpool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which totally steals our thunder from, I mean, we, we, we you mentioned it first, Chris, I think, but I think. That's yeah. That's a night, that's a night crawler. Oh, that's um, right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, him with Deadpool would be awesome. Obviously, uh, I I just feel like him and Nightcrawler would be even better because they they're they're different personality wise. Mm-hmm. Like Deadpool and and uh, Quicksilver are almost the same yeah, personality yeah. wise. So like, I, I feel like that it would not be as fun, but it probably. I mean, it would be fun. It would be fun no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to uh, be doing that soon. Yay. Yeah. All right, so All right. we want to do one more question. We want to cut it off. Yeah, we'll do one more question. All right. Um, final question was for us to talk about some of our favorite improvised scenes or, or moments in movies that were unscripted. Um, Chris, you want to take that one away? Um, yeah. Uh, in fact, it could really go for the whole movie, and we've been talking about these faux documentaries a lot, but uh, Waiting for Guffman. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So many unscripted great scenes. Um I just I love that one where they like uh, Bob Balaban has taken over that troop and and uh, and they want to get Corky back and they go and they say and the one guy's like he's like he's like we don't like this guy he shops at Walmart he doesn't say he doesn't he doesn't support the town you know and stuff like that he's like, he's like and I hate you people because you're bastard people like, you know these like, you know, and it's like, I hate you, and I hate your your was it your, your, ass, your face. ass face? <laughs> I hate you and your ass face. You know, the, the I mean those those movies are just chock full of that type of stuff, and really the whole movie. I mean, they I think they have outlines of what happens or whatever, and then they just go into it. So, uh, waiting for Guffman, best in show, those two movies in particular. Uh, have the best for well, me. and that's the thing is that those people have been working together for so long that they, oh yeah they have such a trust and understanding to do a completely unscripted scene without any worry that it's going to come out great like some of those people have been doing stuff together for 30 40 years yeah yeah oh yeah, yeah. well uh yeah. mine is at least the first one that came to my head I'm sure if I 
did a bunch of research and thinking I could come up with a lot, but uh, it's from uh, The Birdcage. Oh, yeah. And I only mm-hmm. know this was improv uh, because, you know, it used to be like that college premiere magazine, Empire magazine, I used to read all this stuff about film. And one of the articles I read mentioned that this moment was was not scripted, but it's in the, when they're finally doing the big dinner. Um, by the way, if you don't know about The Birdcage, it's Robin Williams and Nathan Lane trying to pretend like they're not gay so that their son um, can have a dinner with his girlfriend and their conservative parents over. Uh, and it's hilarious. And Hank Azaria is their gay Cuban butler. And uh, <clears throat> he's preparing all this food and Robin Williams comes in there. Everybody's in a huff. And they basically, Hank Azaria dropped a dish and it smashes on the floor and it was not supposed to happen. <laughs> and there's this pause where everybody's like, ah, blah, blah. And Robin Williams goes, ah, fuck the shrimp. And he walks out. <laughs> 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 it was completely – there was supposed to be real dialogue there. There was not supposed to be an accident, but it's such a hilarious – it's one of the laugh-out-loudness moments of that whole movie. Awesome. I really yeah. like that movie. That's beautiful. Wow. Yeah, mine is I, – I actually, when I thought about the, the never-scripted or not-scripted scenes, my first thought was – the uh, Chevy Chase and Bill Murray scene in Caddyshack. Now that actually mm. was uh, was scripted after the fact. Uh, mm-hmm. They had never uh, they had never planned on doing that. But after getting wind about Harold Ramis, we got wind about the whole beef between Chevy Chase and Bill Murray. Uh, the three of them actually sat down at lunch and and wrote the scene that became so uh, pointed to as one of the funniest of the the uh, the thing. But there's a lot of good improvised stuff in Caddyshack including uh, the Cinderella story uh, scene uh, where Bill Murray is the groundskeeper and he's out there, you know, uh, getting his golf swing together with like that crazy gardening, like hacking tool with the, the, the flowers. Yeah. It's completely <laughs> improvised. He's just out there. He's like, Cinderella story. And uh, he's on he's on the 18th of the Masters. Yeah, Cinderella. Oh, oh, he got all that one. He got all that one. And uh, yeah, that was completely improvised. And the other one was the uh, the Chevy Chase scene with Lacey Underall uh, in bed, where he's like douses her with all that oil and all that stuff. Like apparently that's <laughs> that whole thing was. And they, if memory serves, like watching behind the scenes, like they hated each other. I think everybody hated Chevy Chase uh, at that point. But like, yeah, it seems to be a recurring really theme. Yeah, man, that's some good stuff. And that is another uh, long podcast for us today, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but that'll be the Sincast for this week. Uh, continue going to SoundCloud and giving us your thoughts, telling us how much we're great or how much we suck. We love them equally. Um, and I believe that's all for the, this week. Uh, it's Chris Atkinson with Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Uh, 85 should go quick, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I expect it to go quick. I'm not going to judge you, man. Go ahead. Fuck that, fuck that microphone. All right. All right. You know, one one microphone may have its mesh looking differently the next time you see it. Um, I'll just let you use that one. <laughs> no, I don't have him at all. I only have you and me. Oh, well, that's nice. Biodigital jazz, man. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud. We won't get any older and we won't ever die. <laughs>